We're going to be continuing our series on how forgiveness works. And there's a lot of things that have a function in this world. And uh, we don't really think about it, but a lot of things that we rely on, they in fact won't really work that well without the assistance of something else. I want you to follow with me real fast. A lot of us use a lot of things every single day not realizing that it only functions properly with the use of something else. This is true with a car. Your car is not going to go anywhere if you have no gas in it. A lamp is not going to light up a room if there's no light bulb turned, uh, twisted into the lamp. A Wi-Fi modem is not going to work if there's no signal to the internet. And for many things that we use every single day, they are they function properly, and without the assistance of something else, it could be useless. A lot of us think this is us if we don't have our morning coffee in the morning, that we are useless if we don't have our morning pickup. Now, my son Malachi, he has this obsession with an iPad. We don't know where it came from, but ever since he was a baby, he sees this light-up screen, and he has to have it. And uh, we see the same traits in our daughter, who's only 10 months. If we pull out our phone and it lights up, she starts crawling over to us. Well, Malachi had the same thing, and I don't know what it is. It's not like we just throw a tablet at him and say, hey, knock yourself out. We actually restrict his time use. But this past week, Malachi came up to me, and he asked me if he can use the iPad. I'm like, sure, why not? You know, yeah, go ahead and use the iPad. The problem is, the iPad's been dead for about four weeks, and it's been sitting in the drawer. And I tried to explain to him, hey, Malachi, like, this iPad's not going to function properly until it has a battery charge. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's only three. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it, I understand. We plug it in, and he just doesn't understand. He is hovering over this thing, and he is hitting the home button about 100 times a minute, just waiting for this thing to charge up. And I tried to explain to him, like, you got to give it a few moments, buddy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to boot up. You ever had technology that's like dead, dead? Well, this is like dead, dead. And it's like taking 20 minutes for him to finally uh, boot up. And I tried to explain to him, like, even after it boots up, you got to give it a few minutes because it needs a few juice to, you know, function. Because if, you know, you start playing a game, it's probably going to crash right away. Explaining that to a three-year-old, not going to happen. Sure enough, the screen lights up, he gets excited, he punches the code in, and he turns on this running game. I tell you, he's obsessed with this running game. And if you give him your phone, I bet you you're going to have a running game downloaded on there with no problem. This kid's smart, but he's not understanding that this iPad's going to crash. And sure enough, within 30 seconds of playing the game, the game crashes, the iPad shuts down, and it needs to reboot again. Malachi wasn't too pleased with this whole entire thing with the iPad, but it reminded me that we rely on stuff to function, and it needs the assistance of something else. The iPad was useless without the battery charge. And last week, we talked about how forgiveness works between us and God. And this week, we're going to learn that if we don't have forgiveness towards others, it's not going to function properly between us and God. We began the series on how forgiveness works. And if you're tracking with us, we're in Matthew chapter 6, which is going to be the driving verse for the series and this message this morning. But according to the word of God, forgiveness with God does not function without the presence or the proper function of us extending forgiveness to others. And according to the word of God, this is just more of a mandate, more of a command that we must do. And the driving verse for this is found in the Lord's Prayer, as we said this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, words will be on the screen, but this is the driving verse of this message. Uh, Forgive us our, our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And the question that we asked last week was from the first part of this, forgive us our debts. That's where that question came from. How does forgiveness work between us 
and God. The second week, the second part of this verse is, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Well, how does forgiveness work between us and others? That's the question we'll be answering this morning. And last week we learned that we have done wrong to God by the sins that we've committed in our life, and we need his forgiveness. Without his forgiveness, we're stuck, we're hopeless, we're a lost cause. Well, this week, we're going to see that we need to extend forgiveness with others who sinned against us. And I want to note now that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus is basically telling God, telling us on how to pray, but it's us telling God, hey God, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me in the same capacity that we have forgiven others. Now this is hard. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you've had to deal with forgiving somebody, but this is hard. This is a difficult task. This is a heart-wrenching moment in your life when you know that you have to forgive somebody. Typically, when somebody does wrong to us, the first thing that we don't want to do is forgive. The first thing that we want to do is we want to get our revenge. You know, we want them to pay for what they did to us. We want them to hurt in the same capacity that they've hurt us. Even though Jesus talks about this whole love your neighbor and not do the whole tooth for tooth thing, it's difficult to forgive someone when some people do some pretty messed up and wicked things to us. Getting revenge, though, that is not how forgiveness works towards others. Getting revenge is not forgiveness. In fact, out of everything that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, I think that he thought that forgiveness was probably one of the more important things because in verse 14 and 15, you're going to see that he actually explains a little bit more about what this whole forgiveness thing looks like after the Lord's Prayer. And he explains it in depth in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus clearly says that this whole forgiveness thing between you and God, it's not going to work if you're not extending forgiveness to those who sinned against you. If you want forgiveness to function properly between you and God, make sure that you're extending forgiveness yourself to people who've sinned against you. And this is just like expecting your car to work yet you have no gas. This is like expecting that light bulb or the lamp to light up the room but you have no light bulb. It's like us being Malachi wanting to use the iPad but there's no battery charge. In the same capacity that we're asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we're saying that we are asking for that forgiveness to be in the way that we've extended it to others. And this morning we're going to use a lot of personal story of mine, of my journey with forgiving people. And uh, we're also going to talk about kind of action points, important actions that we take when it deals with forgiving other people. Now I want to point out that forgiveness with us and God, this called for a lot of action. I mean, if you think about the cross, if you think about Jesus' work and what he did on our behalf, this took Jesus saying, I'm going to come down to earth, die on the cross in your place, die on the cross for your sins, all action, so that you can be forgiven. Now, when we're dealing with forgiveness towards others, it's going to be us doing something similar with some action. We're going to dig into this, but in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus teaching about this idea of forgiving people who've hurt us when we form enemies. In in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, this is what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The first important action dealing with forgiveness towards our offender is that we pray for our offender. We pray for our offender. And I know 
that this is not the first thing that you want to do. When somebody hurts you, it's probably the last thing that you have on your mind to go before the Lord and lift this person up to uh, the Lord in prayer. I know that this world is messed up. I know there's some messed up people in this world. And I know that you're dealing with or if you've dealt with some pretty, really hard stuff. There's perhaps something that you had to walk through, some difficult emotions, had to deal with some big-time insecurities all because of an offender. There's a chance that you've had to face immense heartbreak over a situation. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But we're to pray for those who sinned against us. And what's even more alarming in this passage that we read in Luke is that Jesus is telling us to love our enemies. And I'm going to tell you this, one of the greatest ways that you can love someone is to bring them before the Lord in prayer. One of the greatest ways you can love someone is to pray for them. No matter what they've done to you, you pray for them. Now, you don't pray for God to do something bad to them. That's not how you pray for them. Wishing uh, harm on somebody, that's like cursing them. Like, God, they've messed, they messed up with my life so much, Lord, I just pray that you'll, you'll crack the sky and you'll just let a, a lightning bolt just shock the thing that they're touching, right? Or, or crack the sky and have someone crash on their big toe. Let them feel what I feel, Lord. Give them, give them this pain, Lord. You see, the truth is, is how do we love someone who's taken so much from us? How do we love someone who's done so much harm to our family? How do we love someone who's caused so much drama and chaos in our life? How do we love someone who has brought on so much pain? In Jesus' words, it's kind of easy to take in Jesus' words when he's saying love our enemies. It's easy to do all that until you finally found yourself having an offender. It's easy to forgive someone or to hear Jesus say forgive someone but not act it out when you don't have anybody to forgive. But when you finally have that person you need to forgive, that's where Jesus' words become difficult. The first thing we do is we pray for our offender because when you start praying for the people you hate or your enemies or the people who've hurt you or caused harm in your life, when you do that, your prayer may or may not change them, but your prayer is going to change you. God will change you through the way you're praying for the people who've caused so much harm in your life. One thing that's true about our attitudes is that our attitudes often influence our actions. Track with me real fast. If you're bitter towards somebody, if you have bitterness towards a specific individual for causing harm in your life or hurt in your life, your actions typically towards that person are going to be what? Bitterness. And so if your poor attitude towards that person who hurts you, you're going to have poor actions towards them by nature. I'm going to tell you a story back, about me back in 2012. Um, I had been a believer for about two years, and I signed up to be this missionary, a summer missionary for youth camps all across the Midwest, the Southeast of America. And we had to raise money to go to this event and uh, be a part of this as we poured into the lives of thousands of kids throughout the entire summer. Um, and there's a home staff and there's a travel staff. The home staff stayed on the mountain in Georgia. The travel staff traveled all around. And I was on travel staff. The first few weeks, you kind of get there, you know, you, guys, you start meeting the other staffers, and you start understanding who they are, you start making friends. Problem was, I made a lot of enemies. And I'll be honest with you, this is not me playing well the victim. I was not, I was, I was innocent. I promise you, I was innocent. Follow me. There was an insecure girlfriend who had a boyfriend on the home staff, and she was trying to see how much he really loved her. So he st- she started telling him, like, Kevin's flirting with me. I know, right? Kevin's flirting with me. Kevin likes me. And I, I think he's coming on to me. You need to do something about this. And I'll tell you, church, I did not like this girl. 
this girl is not my type, you know, she's full of drama. I promise you, it's not me, you just have to believe me. So the camp director, he hears about this as he flies in, as uh, he's a missionary in, in Kenya. He flies in, he's like a camp director, and the boyfriend starts spreading all these rumors about me. He starts to get all these people, all his friends, to start hating me, and I literally, I had a lot of enemies. The camp director hears about this, and the camp director doesn't trust me right away. I mean, I have a poor testimony right now because I have a lot of enemies. And so there was a lie that came out about me that I had went to my dorm room during work hours, and I, I slept for four hours. Now, if you know anything about me, one thing I despise is naps. I do not like to take a nap. I, I'm like an energizer bunny. I just can't stop. And I, if I fall asleep, it's maybe for 10 to 15 minutes. It's a cat nap. That's it. And so there's this one day where I'm kind of loading the trailer, getting ready to leave to our first camp destination in Florida, and it's a lot of work. Packing the trailer, unpacking it, making sure everything fits. It's a lot of lifting, a lot of heavyweight stuff. I sit down, and the moment I sit down, the camp director walks in. And he sees me, and he's like, I can't believe this. This is all true. You're a messed up person. We're sending you home. You know what? Better yet, this is strike two. If you get to strike three, Kevin, you're going home. You're not going to be able to do this camp. And I'm telling you, church, I was miserable. I didn't want to be here. No one was listening to me. No one was trusting me. And I'm just like, miserable. And so we get to the, the camp in Florida, and we start setting up the entire sanctuary. We're building the stage. We're setting up the lights. We're setting up the technology. We're setting up the sound equipment, all that. We're all ready to go. We start praying over the sanctuary, praying for what God's about to do in the hearts of all these students who are about to be in this room, and we're just praying for God to just do something amazing. Well, I get on the stage, and as I'm praying to the Lord in my own spirit, I'm asking God to change the heart of the camp director because I was so miserable around him. I didn't want to be around him, didn't enjoy his presence. And I start praying, God, ask, put it on his heart, Lord, to ask me to forgive him. That's how bold my prayer was, to tell God, to ask God to put it on his heart to forgive me, to ask me to forgive him. And so that's what I prayed. And as I prayed, I, I left. I was praying for my offender. I went to the back of the, the sanctuary, and as I'm walking out, he calls me over. The camp director calls me over. And he starts telling me, he's like, listen, I, I misjudged you. I saw all the work that you did uh, alone here on setup and, and getting ready for this camp. You're like our hardest worker here. I'm sorry, I messed up. I listened to those rumors. I'm sorry, I messed up and I listened to those prejudgments about you. Would you please forgive me? And I start like getting so happy because I'm like, God, you're changing my attitude towards my entire outlook on this camp. And I'm like, we forgave each other. And literally, we've been friends now for over 10 years or t almost 10 years. And I even hung out with him just two weeks ago. This is just how God has changed. Now, don't get me wrong. There's sometimes when we have offenses with people where we pray for them, and that person's not going to change. But that's between them and God. What's true, though, is that you will change. So we pray for our offender. Jesus continues teaching on this idea of forgiveness in another gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And just, Jesus says this about forgiveness. He says, therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So the second important action dealing with forgiveness towards others is that prioritize, we have to prioritize forgiveness with our offender. We have to prioritize forgiveness with our offender. In this passage, Jesus is basically saying that offering that you're giving up to the Lord right now, that offering, it's important, but right now, if you have a grievance towards a brother or sister in Christ, I don't want your offering. I want you to be reconciled so that you and your brother or sister are right before me. 
Yes, offerings are important to God, but not when you have a disunity amongst somebody who's harmed us or hurt us or a division with us. We're actually hypocrites to say that we love God, yet we have hatred towards somebody else. Our attitudes towards others really reflect our relationship with God. And John, in one of his letters, he writes in 1 John 4, 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. You can't say that you love God, yet you have hatred in your heart. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. So simply put, we can't say that we love God, but have hatred in our heart. Our testimony is like an oxymoron to say that we love somebody, we love God, but yet we're hating it's one of his creation. You see, a real test of our love of God is how we treat people right in front of us. We can't truly love God while neglecting to love people who have hurt us. And this is something that we must prioritize. Because if we don't prioritize forgiveness, what you're holding on to is unforgiveness. And when you're holding on to unforgiveness, believe it or not, but it's going to have a hold on you. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 12, 14, and 15, in those three verses, he could have used Another word dealing with forgiveness. But Jesus uses a word called aphemi. He uses aphemi. And the word aphemi, it does mean forgiveness, but it also means to release. It means to let go. And now the opposite, track with me, the opposite of release, the opposite of let go is to what? Hold on to. And so what you're doing when you have unforgiveness in your heart is you're truly holding on to the offense. Now, you know as well as I know that when you try to hold on to something, you try to control it only to find out that whatever you're holding on to is truly controlling you. So whatever it is you don't want to forgive, it controls you. And when you don't release, when you don't forgive, the hurt, the pain, the anger, it begins to settle at the bottom of your soul. Jesus wants us to prioritize forgiveness with our offender before we bring an offering. Going back to that camp uh, journey that I was going through at that camp, uh, summer had been going great. You know, I've reconciled a few relationships, but not the ones on home staff. And this is the last week of camp. Uh, there's about four to 500 students in this camp. And uh, the last week of camp, the travel staff and the home staff kind of merged. We're all together on the same mountain doing the same ministry. And <clears throat> I was asked to quote Hebrews chapter 9, which we learned last week how to do, deal with a lot of forgiveness. And so I said, sure, we're going to do this right before uh, worship. And so I come up into the stage, and all the students are before me, and I start with passion and conviction, just quoting Hebrews chapter 9 to the entire sanctuary. And, and it was just an awesome moment, and I go into the back after that worship comes in and, and kind of fades me out. And the camp director comes up to me, he hugs me, and, and he's just like, Kevin, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, and I want you to know that God's going to use you for big things. Just continue to seek him. And I was so encouraged, church. I was so, like, lifted up in the spirit. Worship's beginning, and I'm just, like, I'm getting into worship. I'm raising my hands. I'm just, like, so in the moment of worshiping Jesus. And then, moments later, I feel like this huge crush on my heart. Like, how dare I worship Jesus right now when the brother who's caused so much, so much hurt in my life is in the same room as me right now, and I haven't reconciled with him? How, what hypocrite am I to sit here and offer this worship to Jesus. And so I was like, I gotta get right with him. I gotta forgive him. So I go over to him and I'm like, yo, we gotta go outside. And he comes outside and I throw up my fist. I'm like, you wanna fight? And he's like, I'm kidding, I didn't do that. We come outside and I'm like, listen, dude, I did not come to this camp experience as a missionary to, to take your girlfriend from you. I did not come here to even like your girlfriend. She's not my type. Trust me, I don't want it. 
not with the drama, not with the chaos. I'm here to do the will of God. And I told him that because I have been forgiven from so much that Jesus has let me go from a lot of debts that I owe to Jesus, I told him, I forgive you for all the drama that you've caused and it ruined my experience here at the camp. And he actually told me, I'm sorry for failing as well. Listen, when you pray, when we have an offender, we pray for our offender, and we also have to prioritize forgiveness when we are bringing an offering to God. Paul, in one of his letters in Ephesians chapter 4, he kind of brings up this idea of, uh, of bitterness and, and unforgiveness. And we're going to kind of look at this, and we're going to pull a truth from this. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, get rid of anger, get rid of brawling, get rid of slander, along with every form of malice, get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God has forgiven you. The third important action dealing with forgiveness is we forgive so that we can live. When we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, it can lead us to have attitudes of what Paul just said here in verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. If you could put that back on the screen for me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul says unforgiveness towards people creates this bitterness in our hearts. It creates this rage in us. It makes us angry. It makes us want to brawl them. You ever get so hurt by somebody, you just want to punch their lights out? This is what bitterness and unforgiveness does. It makes us want to slander their name. It makes us hate them and have this hatred towards them. And I'm going to be honest with you, church, thinking of this kind of um, unforgiveness towards somebody, it's not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to function. I can be honest with you and tell you that you're probably going to miss the calling of God in your life if you're holding on and harboring these unforgiveness towards a brother or sister. You've probably heard it said before, but unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping it will kill the person who offended you. I mean, think about that. You're drinking poison when you're harboring harboring unforgiveness. You're drinking poison hoping that it's going to kill the person who's offended you. And if you are harboring unforgiveness, you know how true this is right now. Because there's so much unforgiveness in your heart, it starts to eat you alive at your core. It deteriorates you. You lose sleep over the things that people do against us. You can't live your life to your full ability or calling by God by harboring unforgiveness. And Paul, on the contrary, he tells us and he stresses it just like Jesus did, is to forgive each other. Now, why would this be important? Why would it be important to forgive. What does it have to do with God? Why does God care about how I treat somebody? This is between me and this person, not me and God. Well, Jesus tells us to do it. And if you know anything about being a disciple, as a disciple of Jesus, we are called to first obey what he teaches. And he teaches to extend forgiveness because if we don't forgive, as we learned as we opened this sermon, is that we won't be forgiven for the things that we've done towards Christ. So one thing I love about Jesus, and I love a lot of things about Jesus, but one thing I absolutely have admire Jesus for is that he leads by example. Jesus will never tell us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. Jesus is not going to say, hey, do this, but you're never going to find him doing it. If Jesus tells you to do something, you better believe he has already done it or he's going to do it. I mean, look at the crucifixion story. If you look at the crucifixion story, you're seeing Jesus be spit on. You're seeing Jesus be ridiculed. You're seeing him being assaulted. You're seeing him uh, being just mocked for who he's saying he is. And in the midst of all of this, as Jesus is preparing to lay his life down as an offering to God, Jesus finds courage and strength to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So Jesus 
exposes that he forgives those who are hurting him clearly, and he's prioritizing forgiveness before he even gives an offering. And he's calling us to also pray and forgive our enemies, because when you do this, you're showing Christ in you. It was a year after I'd given my life to Jesus, I find myself at this all-men's conference, and at this conference, um, there's this, this pastor talking, uh, and on the first day, he asks us a very clear question. He says, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? In church, I saw myself in a, an awesome spot. Like, it was a dream place. You know, I was married. I had a lot of kids, and we were on a lake house, uh, you know, woods everywhere, but this lake, the beautiful lake, calm, not, no winds, no nothing, a dock out in the middle of the lake. It was beautiful. And the second question comes, he goes, what's holding you back from getting to that point in your life? And at the time, I thought, nothing. I, I mean, my family situation is a little messed up, but, you know, like, I'm good. I'm out of the house. I'm living on my own. I'm making my own money. I'm in college. You know, I'm making my way. So I don't know. Maybe one day I'm going to get my lake house, and I'm going to have my beautiful family, you know? The next day, the pastor's preaching, and he has all these rocks all over the stage. And these are, like, pretty big rocks. These are boulders, maybe. And um, they're all labeled. And as the pastor's preaching, he's saying something like, you know, whenever somebody does something to us, hurt us, harm us, uh, causes pain in our life, we kind of like throw that in the backpack and we just wear that wound. Like we just carry that wound. We just, we just bring it on us and we just forget about it. We try to forget about it. And he grabs his backpack and he starts to take these rocks. And he's like, you know, this is, this is every single time that we were called worthless. And he puts this rock in the bag. Takes another rock. He's like, this is when we were told that we're not going to amount to anything. Puts that rock in the bag. Takes another rock. This is when we were cheated on. This is when a boss cheated us. Takes another rock. This is when we uh, were lied to. This is when someone uh, caused harm in our family. You know, this is when we were abused. And this pastor is just filling all these rocks in his bag and saying all these offenses that people get every single day. And he continues in his sermon. He puts this backpack on. He continues preaching. And you kind of forget about the backpack. But he gets to a point where he's talking about that. He's at this sports bar. And at this sports bar, he's just, you know, he's with friends, and he just finds himself uncontrollably crying. He just lost it. And he's crying. He's weeping. He doesn't know why he's weeping. But then it dawned on him that his father had passed away maybe six months before this. And he didn't, the, the, the passing of his father didn't really bother him. What bothered him was his relationship with his father. He never reconciled that relationship. He had a hard issue with his father. And so the man decided to pull up a chair, and he pretends to sit his dad down in the chair. And he comes before him, bends his knee, and goes before him. And he says, listen, Dad, I don't know if you're listening, but I need to release this. I need to ask you to please forgive me because I want to forgive you for all that you've done in my life. And as he's gone through this, he, he stands up, he takes his backpack off that you forgot about, and he launches it across the stage. And as the bag hits the ground, he's like, gentlemen, when I did this, the weight of the world was no longer holding me down. And me over there, I'm just like locked eyes on the bag, tears flowing at this point. Because then I realized, what's holding me back from living, what's holding me back from moving forward and, and fulfilling the calling in my life that God's put on my heart, is my unforgiveness towards my father. And now me and my father, we didn't have a good relationship. There's a lot of things that my dad's done to me that I held on to. He said a lot of mean things to me, done a lot of rude things to me. We did not have a good relationship. In fact, my dad had really poor health. He's had three heart attacks, open heart surgery, many strokes, many seizures, um, and he's still alive today. In fact, today he is actually battling cancer, and he's still alive. He's had cancer for, I believe, four years now. Still kicking and breathing. And it dawned on me that I need to forgive my father. 
I need to forgive him before I lose him because I don't want to be like that pastor pulling up an empty chair and saying, please forgive me. I need to do this while he's alive. I need to reconcile with him while we are still here. And so I go home after this conference. I pull the chair up, and I sit my dad down in this chair, and we're, we're just talking. And I said, Dad, there's some things i got to talk to you about. And he's like, okay, what's going on? What you need to know is that my dad had given his life to Christ a few months before this, which probably helped him be more understanding of me, you know, talking about such hurtful past. Um, but I, I started talking to him. I'm like, Dad, there's some things that you've done to me, and, and it's, it's really marked me as a man. It's really marked me as a young man, having to deal with a lot of things as a young man. But I need you to know that I, I don't hold you to that. I forgive you of all of it. And I need to release this to you, Dad. My dad responds in, in such humility, and he says, Kevin, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know how to raise a family. I didn't know how to be a dad to a son. I didn't know how to do any of this, and I've messed up. I've lost my entire family. He, he truly hit rock bottom. And he's like, I need you to forgive me for what I did. And church, it's been 10 years, and me and my dad has had the best relationship in the last 10 years because we forgave each other. And I'm being honest with you, church. <laughs> Praise God. I would not be the pastor I am today or the husband I am today or even the, the father I am today if I held on to this unforgiveness towards my dad. So in conclusion, I want you to know I know you're hurt. I know your pain. I know how hard it is to forgive. Maybe you're the one who needs to be forgiven. Maybe you're the one who's made some mistakes in your life and you need to be forgiven. Maybe you have to have that hard conversation to sit somebody down and extend forgiveness to somebody else. The thing is true that hurt people end up hurting people. But I hope after this morning's message you understand that forgiven people forgive people. Someone in here this morning may be carrying a wound that has marked you. Perhaps you thought that you bandaged this wound up, but truth is, you're still bleeding. Perhaps there's someone uh, in here who something's happened to you when you were a child and you still have never told anybody in your entire life. You've been carrying this wound your entire life. I'm telling you, it's marked you. You're still bleeding. Perhaps you have someone on your mind right now as I'm even talking about hurt, and you can picture their face in your head right now as a clear vision of exactly what they've done to you in your life. Jesus is calling us to forgive them just as you have been forgiven. Going back to what Peter uh, came up to Jesus and he asked him, he said, Jesus, how, how many times should I forgive someone who offended me? Should it be seven times? And Jesus gives his answer like an outrageous number. He says, I say not seven times, but 70 times. Then gives this parable of this unforgiving servant, this unforgiving uh, debtor. There's this man who owed 10,000 talents, which is uh, a lot of money, and he owes 10,000 talents to this master, and he is in debt, and he is begging for mercy, but the master is like, no, you have to sell all your family, you have to sell everything you own, you have to lose your family, you have to spend time in jail until this debt is paid off. And the guy just begs, begs and begs and begs for mercy. The master shows mercy, he forgives him of his debt, only to find out that the same man finds a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii, which in those times, 10,000 talent does not compare at all to 100 denarii. But this man is saying, you owe me my 100 denarii. He chokes him out. He's fighting him. He's like, you're going to go to jail for this. You have to owe me all my money until this debt is paid. And check out how the story ends. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 32 and 35, Jesus says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. 
And this is what Jesus says in verse 35. This is how our Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Again, forgiveness, extending it is not easy. It is not easy to do. There's a chance that you'll never forget what people have done to you. But the more you hold on to it, the more it's going to control you. Because God has forgiven us of our sins, we should not withhold forgiveness from others. Because when we don't forgive, what we're doing is we're setting our sides, ourselves outside and above Christ's law of love. We forgive just as Jesus has forgiven us. And this is how forgiveness works. Norman Wright said this about forgiveness as we close. He said, forgiveness involves letting go. Remember playing tug of war as a child? As long as the parties on each end of the rope are tugging, you have war. But when someone lets go, the war is over. When you forgive, you are letting go your end of the rope. If you have released your end, the war is over for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing this morning. We thank you for this series on how forgiveness works, dealing with forgiveness with you, God, and dealing with forgiveness towards others. But Lord, there is, there is true hurt in our hearts, Lord. There's true hurt in our lives. There's some wicked things that we've had to walk through in this life. And Father, I pray for all of us who there's a chance that if we've lived long enough, Lord, as we're, if we're even be able to be in here, Lord, that there's a chance that somebody has offended us in our life, that we're holding on forgiveness towards somebody, or there's a brother or sister that we need to extend forgiveness to. Father, I pray this morning that we'll be encouraged to have those hard conversations, to have that reconciliation. Yes, relationships will probably never be the same, and we understand that, Jesus. But what we do know is that we will be right in your eyes, that we'll be able to worship you freely, not harboring onto the unforgiveness. We'll release our debtors into your hands, Jesus. Father, I pray for strength for all of us to walk through on this. It's in your son's name that we pray, and we all said, amen.